0: Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast, brought to you by Telefunken Electroacoustic. Telefunken Electroacoustic has been following the tradition of excellence and innovation set forth by the original Telefunken GmbH of Germany that began over 100 years ago. With one foot rooted in the rich history of the brand and the other in new microphone innovations for both stage and studio applications, Telefunken Electroacoustic is recognized as one of the industry leaders in top quality microphones. For more info, go to tfunk.com. This episode is also brought to you by Fascination Street Mastering Studios. Have your songs mastered by Jens Bogrian and Tony Lindgren, the engineers that mastered bands like Opeth, Demu Borgir, Arch Enemy, Creator, Sepultura, Amon Amarth, and many more. By using the coupon code URM18 in the online mastering configurator, you'll receive a 15% discount on your order. The code is valid for the rest of the year. Visit www.fascinationstreet.se to learn more and book your mastering session today. And now your host, A.L. Levy.
1: Welcome to the URM podcast. I am A.L. Levy. And I just want to tell you that this show is brought to you by URM Academy, the world's best education for rock and metal producers. Every month on Nail the Mix, we bring you one of the world's best producers to mix a song from scratch from artists like Diamond God, Meshuggah, Periphery, The Day to Remember, Bring Me the Horizon, Opeth, many, many more. And we give you the raw multitracks so you can mix along. You'll also get access to MixLab, our collection of bite-sized mixing tutorials, and Portfolio Builder, which are pro-quality multitracks that are cleared for use in your portfolio. You can find out more at nailthemix.com. Also, I want to take a second to tell you about something I'm very, very excited about, and it's the URM Summit. Once a year, we hold an event where hundreds of producers from all over the world come together for four days of networking, workshops, seminars, and, of course, hanging out. You know, this industry is all about relationships, and think about it. What could you gain from getting to personally know your peers from all over the world who have the same goals as you, the same struggles as you, and who can not only help you with inspiration and motivation, but also with potential professional collaborations. I've seen a lot of professional collaborations come from the summit in the past. And speaking of networking and relationships, there's no other event where you'll get to learn from and hang out with some of the very best in the production business. I mean, you could go to something like NAM, but good luck getting more than five minutes with your hero. At this, you actually will get to hang out, like hang out, hang out. And just a few of this year's instructors are Andrew Wade, Kirpaloo, Blasco, Taylor Larson, Billy Decker, Kane and Kevin Charco, Jesse Cannon, and more. Seriously, this is one of the best and most productive events you will ever go to. So if that sounds like something that's up your alley, go to urmsummit.com to find out more. Hello, and welcome to the URM podcast. I am Al Levy, and this is an episode that needs no real introduction because my guest needs no real introduction. His name is Billy Decker, and if you're a fan of URM or this podcast, you know exactly who he is. He's one of the most world-renowned country music mixers with over 35 million albums under his belt. (laughs) Crazy. I mean, he hasn't mixed 35 million albums, but the albums he's mixed have sold over 35 million copies. He's got something like 14 and number ones, just a laundry list of who's who top country artists. He's been on Nail the Mix before he's come to our summit. What can I say, man? I just love the guy. I'm just going to get right to the podcast. Enjoy. Billy Decker. Hello. Hello, AL. How are you, sir? Doing all right. I've missed you.
2: I, I, I can't say the same. I can't say the same.
1: Life was better without me? It's
2: been the best two months of my life not talking to you every single day <laughs> like we used to. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> no, you know I've missed you, my friend. Come on. We, we've been out in the desert in Vegas racing dune buggies for crying out loud.
1: That was kind of fun. That was awesome. Do you like doing stuff like that? Like stuff that could kill you?
2: Yes. Yes, because I had cancer and I didn't die. So now I think I'm Superman. So, if you see me, like, trying to jump between buildings or racing motorcycles or deep-sea diving or something like that, I, my wife's like, you're not invincible, so stop thinking you are. But it seriously gives you, uh, like, a new lease on life, so you just don't want to waste any
1: time, you know? Did you used to do that kind of stuff before the cancer? Uh, yeah,
2: but not quite as much. Now I'm, like, totally think I'm, like, a superhero. You know, you can, like... I can bounce bullets off my chest and stuff like that.
1: Have you tried that one?
2: <laughs> I tell you what, the way Nashville's getting these days, dude, it's it's almost as bad as Atlanta as far as the traffic and the crime. I mean, you turn on the TV and it's like three people a night are getting killed in this town, you know? It's, wow. It's crazy. Yeah, it's really growing, getting dangerous too. You got to be careful.
1: So maybe it's a good thing that you can bounce bullets off your chest.
2: Yeah, and, you know, I've been thinking about, you know, you know, I make cutting boards and that's my hobby, but I was like, you know what I need to do? I need to be like Ray Donovan or Denzel Washington, the equalizer, the guy that just goes out at night and like stops crime and saves people and just, just something, you know, why not? Why
1: not? So what's the craziest thing that you've decided to do? Like, Hobby wise that has just freaked the shit out of your wife, like anything like going skydiving
2: or, uh, I tried to build a forge in my fire pit in the backyard and melt some metal and tried to like see if I could make a knife out of some old iron. you know what I mean? And she's like, what are you doing? And I had like three bags of charcoal out there and it's like 95 degrees and I'm sitting here sweating my ass off trying to melt metal.
1: Were you successful? No,
2: absolutely not. It was horrible. I just, I, I burn up a big patch in my backyard and it was not a good <laughs> endeavor. So the fire got a little out of control, but hey, that's, that's what we do,
1: you know. What about stuff like skydiving? Any interest?
2: Yeah, you know, I haven't tried skydiving yet. I, uh, I love the ocean. So I definitely do the, the swimming with sharks and all that kind of stuff. I've done that before, but I think I would be more in line with like going without a tour and just doing it on my own. I guess that, you know what, you know what it is? I think I don't have fear. I mean, I still have fear. But it's almost like I'm not afraid of a lot of things anymore. Does that make any sense? It, it's yes. kind of hard to explain. But it's like once you all of a sudden have no fear. I don't want to say I don't have fear because, I mean, everybody's got fear. It almost is like like me and my wife were uh, walking our dogs the other night, late at night, super, super dark in our neighborhood. And we've got these two dogs Um uh, in another part of the neighborhood that we were walking by and one of them just comes barreling out. And I literally just looked at this dog. It was a huge dog and it was in a, uh, one of those, um, electronic fences. So you can't tell, or you don't know if it's going to like breach <laughs> into the street where we were and just start mauling you or your wife or the other two dogs we had. And I literally just looked over to the dog and my wife like just took off. She was like, ah, and grabbed that one dog and took off running. And all I did, I had the other dog. I just turned to my right, and I just pointed my finger at the dog, and I just did the, what was that dog whisper dude on TV, the Caesar Milan.
1: Caesar Milan.
2: Yes. And all I did was I went, and I pointed my finger, and I went, stop. And the dog just stopped and looked at me.
1: You showed him who's who. Exactly. He got decorated.
2: You know, probably three years ago, I would have been ahead of my wife running down the street, you know. But this was just like, nah, okay, a dog's coming at me. And I just went, Pointed at me, you just stopped,
1: you know? What do you think it it is? Do you think, is it a conscious thing or did just like a switch get flipped in your head?
2: It was a switch. Yeah, it was a switch. Just when, you know, I I think we went over this one other time, but when you're told that you might die, uh, you just all of a sudden reevaluate and everything just kind of changes for the better. It's not like superhuman or anything like that. Or I don't think I'm a superhero, but it's like, I don't know. I don't want to say an awakening, that sounds cheesy. But it's kind of like that. It is, it is. And you just kind of like chill out, you mellow out, you don't let the small stuff bother you anymore. And I don't think I'm afraid of much anymore. You know what I mean? I could be walking down an alley and somebody jumps out and it's like, oh, okay, take your best shot, you know? I've been there before, done that. You know, what are you going to do, kill me? Nah, I beat cancer, you ain't going to kill me.
1: And I'll probably get a couple swipes in, you know? So were you saying that like, if it came to you know, like an undersea tour with like a group, you'd rather just do that by yourself?
2: Yeah. Like, you know, they have those swimming with the sharks and they put you in the, in the cages and all that stuff.
1: That's just horrifying. <laughs> I, I think
2: I'd be more adi- or willing to just dive in by myself and see what happens. You know, I'm not looking to kill myself, but it's like, uh, yeah, I don't know what it is. And I don't want everybody out there to go, Oh, Decker has no fear. I'm going to go like, try to run him over with a car or something like that, or test it. And like I said, it's almost like an awakening, and you just don't let stuff bother you or get worked up anymore, you know? Which I think has made me a even more likable dude in the recording studio and a more chill mixing engineer, you know? I've always been the, you know, kick me, may I have another type of dude, but now I really am. It's like, man, you can come in and scream and holler, and I'll recall something nine million times, and... You know, it really doesn't bother me now, so.
1: You know, like at the beginning of people's careers, I guess you may not even call it career yet. There's a lot of fear involved with, and I see this all the time, a lot of fear involved with saying the right thing, saying the wrong thing. I mean, am I approaching the right person? Am I fucking it up? Like fear of sending things to clients just all kinds of fears involved. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all kind of go through it to some degree, but do you kind of wish that that phase of your career, like you had this level of freedom from fear back in that stage, or do you think that that stage was crucial, helped you become who you are?
2: Uh, yeah, what do they say? Hindsight's twenty-twenty. You can't ever go back, but if you could, you would do something different. I think everything I've done is probably – helped contribute or made me who I am. So you, you never want to go back and change anything.
1: Yeah, yeah. But like, let's just say that there's someone someone kind of like you who's outside of you, who's like maybe 25 years old, who's has the same goals as you would have had, but is exhibiting those fear-based behaviors that slow someone down. Um, would you wish for them that they had this sort of awakening that you've had? Do you wish that they would just approach life and getting their career going in a more fearless way? Or do you think that it protects you from doing dumb shit at the beginning?
2: Yeah, I would... Oh boy, that's a good question. You know what? Because half of what made you who you are is when you do screw up. You know what? Because then you learn, and then you decide to do something different. So if you bypassed all that, I'm not sure you would progress as fast as... If you had all the answers. Or I'll say... Yes, but let me let me preface that with always do your homework before you do dive into something like that. And w- what I mean is like, uh, I always give that example of how I called Bob Clear Mountain back in the day. Before I called Bob Clear Mountain, I knew everything about Bob Clear Mountain. You know what I mean? So I wouldn't step in a pile of whatever when I was talking to him if that phone call got through. So I would say, yes, remove the fear, be fearless. That's a great way to be. But But not stupid. Don't be reckless. Be fearless, but not reckless. And always do your homework first. So if somebody is going to cold call me, Do me a favor and at least do a little research to find out what I've maybe mixed or maybe haven't mixed. So when you're referencing something, going, Hey, I wonder if you could make that sound like Dustin Lynch's voice, if possible. It's like, uh, Hello, I mixed his last single or his last single. Of course I can. You know what I mean? So don't go into situations blind. Always do your homework before you're going to
1: leap. Have you found, though, that now? the combination of doing your due diligence and having a more fearless attitude almost makes you unstoppable in a way. It
2: does, it does. And what's funny is my wife has read a couple articles since then and listened, believe it or not, she actually listened to one podcast that I did. And somehow it came up that the the person interviewing me was like, oh, and he's so humble. And my wife was like, what? And her sister-in-law even listened, and they're like, what? Humble? Decker's the farthest thing from humble at home. <laughs> and uh, I just thought that was funny because I don't want to say there's two me's, but you do tend to get a little less on, I guess, because like she's like, how come everybody's saying all this stuff when you're at work? But when you come home, it's like, I know this side of you. And it's like, well, it's because... It's almost like my job, and that's what I do. And I run out of being nice to everybody at work. And I come home and I'm like <laughs> screaming and at home, you know, because I'm all out of patience because I've been patient and nice all day. So it's like, I've been hiding
1: the monster all yes, day long.
2: The ones that you love always take the brunt of it, you know? So now I, and I'm, I'm totally being facetious when I say that, you know, me and my wife are going great, going strong, you know, kids are good, family's good, everything's great. But it was just funny because she's like, yeah, my sister even saw that and she was like, humble? What the hell? But, you know, that, that's what your sister-in-law is going to say and your wife. So, Do you think
1: that you've taken on more projects or have you become more selective about which projects to take? Like, developed a sense for, uh, this is, with the finite amount of time we have on Earth, maybe not take this project.
2: No, no, I'm still... That hasn't changed. I take everything, for the most part. I mean... I don't want to say I take everything, but that's what I do. So I almost have like a little another side slogan where it's like, have audio, we'll mix, you know? Mm -hmm. So uh, my job is just to take what people give me and try to make it as best that I think I can. So I don't care if you're from Idaho with a deal, Idaho without a deal. You know, Nashville with a deal, Nashville without, it doesn't really matter. I mean, I literally make my living mixing. So I very rarely say no to anybody. And it's just because that's the way I like to work. And I like to be too busy. I do my best work is when I'm under the gun and under pressure and I've got the phone ringing and mixing left and right and trying to fit in a lunch or just grab a quick cup of soup and a bag of chips or whatever. I like the chaos, believe it or not. When I don't have that, I almost crave it, you know? I, I I want to be too busy.
1: Have you added an assistant into the mix yet?
2: Nope, still running solo. I do have a gentleman that... Uh Will come in and bounce my versions for me. And I guess if you want to say he's my assistant, sure. But yeah, for the most part, I'm still just, that. that's just the way I've always come up. That's the way I've operated and I'll probably go out that way. You know what I mean? I
1: mean, assistant, as far as he comes in after you're already done and just does like the vocal up, vocal down, instrumental, et cetera.
2: Correct. And a lot of times if I am in the middle of something and we need vocal overdubs, a lot of time he'll cut all the vocals for that. In the evenings, you know what I mean? And then it'll be ready. He'll tune it, comp it, and get it ready to go. And then I just come in and mix. So for the most part, I still just mix, 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 mix.
1: Let's talk about the definition of mix because I feel like it's a fluid definition because there's sometimes where I hear certain people say, I mix, that's all I do. It's an extra charge for any edits or whatever. Then there's other guys who are like, hey, my name goes on the final product so whatever has to be done has to be done and I'll just do it because what the fuck and then every kind of like variation in between you know what's your stance on where the I guess where the line is for mixing and at what point do you start doing harmonies on stuff or like what's What's the line for you? Where where do upcharges come in? Like, when is it no longer just mixing?
2: For me, I have done it for so long where I started out in the trenches just doing demos. And sometimes you would need a harmony. Sometimes the vocal needed comped. Sometimes it needed tuned. Everything, I always like to get it just raw because I have a special way. I like to clean stuff and I'm just, I'm used to it. So it doesn't bother me at all. So I would say all of the above, uh, if I get called to mix, that encompasses taking whatever they give me and making it as best I can. Like the other day, there was a song that I did that the chorus didn't feel as big as I was hoping it would. So I called the producer and I said, would you mind if I laid some power chords in there? to just kind of fatten it up. I'll run it at half volume. I'm gonna use a, it was a country song. And I said, I'm gonna run like a a drop B tuning or a drop C, almost like they do in metal, you know? And I'm just gonna throw just straight diamonds in the chorus to fatten it up. And I'm gonna do a stereo pass. And, And he was like, whatever you think you need to do to make it just pop, go for it. He's like, I'm all on board, all on board. Now, there's other times when maybe somebody wouldn't like that, but I always ask first. And in this instance, he was like, absolutely do it. So I did it. They loved it. You know, you can barely hear it, but you can feel it. It just fattens it up, you know. Uh, And I took no credit, don't want credit. That's just, I consider that just part of making it sound good. There's another song that needed a a harmony. There was the girl singing a third above, but it needed that fifth below. So I just did it. You know, I didn't mention it. I didn't tell them. They just said, it sounds great. It's like, okay, cool. So for me, it's just whatever. I, I could care less.
1: I just do the job. I've always kind of seen it that way, except there is a line. I'm trying to figure out what is the line, though.
2: I've never been pushed even close to it. You know what I mean? I, I mean, I'll get people that say, hey, could you tune that vocal? I'm like, sure, no problem,
1: you know? And I'll just do it. I'm trying to think. Uh, to me, I think the line Ends up being rhythm guitars need to be redone for the whole album or something like that. Something w- where it's like, okay, I'm gonna have to sit down and like learn these parts. We're not talking just like power chords, we're talking like intense metal riffs. I'm gonna have to learn how to play these well and all the harmonies and like really go for it. To me,
2: that would be part of being a engineer, producer as well. You know what I mean?
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
2: Now I'm talking just mixing, purely mixing. Now there is a guy in town who is a a mixer and His name's John Kelton, and I've heard that he is a phenomenal bass player and has actually replaced a few bass parts if it wasn't up to standards or whatnot, you know what I mean? But for the most part, I would say I am nowhere near the musician that Nashville is spitting out on a day-to-day basis. So if somebody said, hey, redo this guitar part, I'd be like,
1: huh? Well, you know, one guitar part is fine. And actually, I could see getting away... With dropping bass on an album is because you, it's so quick. Yeah, but recording rhythm guitar is a painstakingly slow process, though.
2: Oh, That's I, why. I can't, I can't even imagine. And
1: I'm saying that has happened though. I have gotten records to mix where the guitars were so bad i mean we could have said you guys need to redo them but they're the ones who sent the bad guitars in the first place in the
2: first place yeah
1: yeah them redoing it doesn't mean they're going to come back better learned that one when i asked a band to resend guitars redo them and they came back just as bad it's like oh yeah i mean it's the (laughs) same people why would it get better good
2: lord i mean i'll get something that Maybe I don't think sounds as good as something else, but yeah, I've never gotten to the point where I've actually replaced anything other than adding some stuff, you know? And you no, know, I will say I fix drums all the time, you know what I mean? I'll fly fills mm-hmm. around and stuff if that, like, oh, that fill sucks. Uh, yeah, I'll steal... Uh, Rob from Paul to pay Peter or Peter from Paul whatever that saying is you know but and I'll even create you know I'll add a kick or here or there or something like that to make it feel better or fly some toms or. but as far as getting into what you've said no I've never I've never had to do
1: that and the standards are really high in Nashville
2: they are they are and usually like I said even the worst stuff I get is probably better than 95% of a lot of the rest of the country, just because the quality of musicianship here, you know, and there is a
1: standard. I feel like a lot of people who aren't in Nashville don't understand what I mean when I say that, like the standards are really high. It's a beautiful thing, man. It's great. I love it. Um, Even if it's not my, preferred genre. Like whenever I've been there and like on the tracks that you gave us for Nail the max man, it's just the musicianship and the arrangements and just the engineering, just everything about it, even if it's not from, you couldn't tell the difference between the hit track or the demo track. Everything had the same level of care and love put into it. It was great. It was very inspiring. You
2: know, one of these days, what we should do, and maybe this will be something that uh, Nail the Mix or like a URM will do, specifically for Nashville, is we should seriously attend and film a song from start to finish. You know what I mean? Even Mm -hmm. if it's a demo song, so everybody can see the process. And Literally, it would take less than a half an hour from start to finish, you know
1: what I mean? (laughs) For one song. I believe you. (laughs) It
2: might be kind of a neat thing we'll have to do one of these days, you know?
1: I'm just laughing at half an hour for a song, just like, holy shit. Start to finish, you know? It seems like you Nashville folk appreciate it. Am I right? Or are there people who take that for granted? Because that's just not like the rest of the world.
2: I myself have gotten where I almost take it for granted now, where if something doesn't happen in like six or seven minutes, if it takes nine, I'm like, what? What's wrong, dude? What the hell's wrong with you? You know? So, or if they don't get it on the first time down, you're just like rolling your eyes like, oh God, what a crappy day. It takes two times.
1: Instead of one. That's kind of amazing. I definitely think that more people should spend time in Nashville. Even if they don't want to work on country, they should spend time in Nashville just to get a dose of what high standards can create. Yeah, well,
2: you know what? I'll take it upon myself, the initiative, and I seriously will. One of these days, I'll film, even if I just have to call one of my buddies doing a demo session, because it's the same players. They're just not making single or double scale master but it's the same exact people doing the exact same thing in the exact same studio they're just not making as much that day so i'll film from start to finish that'll be that'll be an eye opener and everybody will then be able to go oh okay now i see i get it you know instead of just hearing us talk about it they'll actually be able to see and hear it from conception to
1: boom yeah let me in on that 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 sounds so cool we've we've done conception to completion stuff but in, you know, in the heavy music world. Right. And songs are not done in 30 minutes. Yeah, I was going to say 30 months. Yeah, 30 months. 30 days. 30 days on an album, 60 days on an album. I mean, even with the really good players, like, we've got some killer players. It's just not that fast. It's very it's very impressive. It gives me hope, honestly. Like, the way Nashville does things gives me hope. Like the way that you guys do things is in line with why I started going down the path of music in the first place. Yeah, yeah. It's it's weird. It's like when I was there,
0: mm-hmm. like
1: I felt a kinship with – not so much with the music, man, because that's not – as you know, that's not my genre. But like
0: sure, I sure. felt
1: a kinship with the uh, with the people and their craftsmanship and – their work ethic and what they, the seriousness that they took it with. I don't mean serious as in they don't have a sense of humor or can't get along, but like there's just a, they take pride in that work and there's, they take it seriously. They're doing important work and that level of, that level of commitment, it speaks to me. I I thought it was very inspiring. Yeah.
2: I've actually been doing the reverse though and trying to do, uh, a few more projects like you guys do, just build it back almost like the rock world in the rock days where you one instrument at a time, overdub, and it, it's been a lot of fun for me lately. You know what I mean? I'm still using, I'm still doing country music in the, the, the genre, but I'm just... Instead of five guys in a room and one, two, three, go, and we're done in five minutes, you know, I'll bring in the acoustic guitar player, overdub the electrics, overdub the banjo, overdub the bass, do the drums just to a a work tape with a vocal and a click, you know? No,
1: that's great. But that doesn't mean that your standards are dropping or anything. You're just doing it piece by piece, but at the standard that you're used to. Yeah,
2: everything's still the same. The quality, the mics, the players, all that good stuff. But it's just I'm approaching it more like your world rather than mine. You know what I mean? Why
1: is that? What is it about that approach that's attracting you?
2: Just the attention to detail. I mean, when things get going, a lot of times you can just miss stuff. Yes. You know what I mean? I mean, think think about it. You're you're grabbing a record in on the second take, and that's it. So it's either we go in and edit it and have to fix it later, or we can just piece it together, maybe take a little bit longer. I mean, I got so used to doing the five guys, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, you know, that it's been kind of fun to just go back and slow down a bit and and really dive in and be able to take just a little bit more time and get the the music exactly where I want it, you know? And you
1: have been working on more rock stuff, haven't you?
2: I have. Since appearing on your show, I've gotten a few more calls and, and kind of been dipping my toes in that water. It's been a lot of fun.
1: Your rock mixes sound great, man. Thank
2: you. I really enjoy mixing that format. And if if I'm not mistaken, that first thing I did, I sent to you and said, what do you think? Remember that? About nine, nine months ago, nine, maybe a year ago, I sent you, I said, Hey, I'm I'm kind of tapping this this type of format. What do I need to do? And you're like, A, B, C, D. And I'm like, okay, did it and sent it back. You're like, there you go.
1: What is it about that genre that appeals to you? You
2: know what? To be honest, I really, really like Female fronted rock bands And I think what I like About that the genre I love The heaviness and just the power I just like the Maybe it's the intensity and the reason I think I gravitate towards Female fronted rock bands Is that to me The female bands always have a Little bit more melody mixed In you know what I mean even if they're Screaming they always seem to Go a little hookier in the chorus Which I love Uh, And and that's not to say every time in every female band. I mean, I'm sure you could point to 10 bands right now that it's just, there's not a lick of melody. It's just, you know, yes. But the ones that I have listened to, I I don't know. I just find it really easy. And and nine times out of 10, I don't even get to meet the band. I just get stuff sent to me. But I really like the melody when uh, a female is either harmonizing with herself or whatnot, and the chorus gets real poppy, but yet it's still a heavy band. I love that type of stuff. I just got done doing a band that had three girls in it, and it was really heavy, but then the chorus, they always went a little poppier, and that was just, for me, that was cool, you know? I really enjoyed that.
1: And is it a different approach for you than your normal mixes? Uh,
2: You know, the only thing different was I used different samples on the drums. Other than that, everything else was the same. Vocal chain, electric guitar. Bass, I know you're supposed to split the bass and distort the top and the bottom. I did not. I still did what I do for country bass. And maybe that's what made it sound a little different is because I didn't have that real rattly, distorted bass, just, you know, with the pick. Couldn't hear quite as much pick attack as a lot of bands in that genre have, but. Uh, i did change the samples around and got a little more your world rather than mine so but i treated them all the same i just used different samples
1: so do you do you dislike clangy bass
2: no 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 i like it but i don't know how to do it
1: <laughs> very well
2: so i just revert reverted back to what i know and it seemed to work so I, I don't get the whole splitting it in half and making the top jangly in the bottom i know how to do it and i've tried to do it but i just can't make it work as good as probably half the students out there on URM, you know?
1: You know, I've had a hard time with it too at times. Sometimes I prefer just using one, one bass and making the sound that way. At times I've had difficulty when you split them, getting them to sound still like one instrument. And, you know, I've, I've had that talk with like Andrew Wade as well, where sometimes like when you do the sub bass as MIDI and then, you know, a hundred and up for the 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 bass guitar, you know, or whatever split you have, sometimes it's weird. Sometimes it's weird. Sometimes it's hard to get it to sound like one instrument. Sometimes it's not hard, but it's definitely a challenge at times.
2: Oh, I love learning new things and new tricks and techniques, but I tell you what, if I can't master it after this doing it this long, if I can't figure out how to get it to sound good, in about a half an hour, I just give <laughs> up and go back to what I know how to do. Fair enough. I'm like, okay, I quit. I ain't wasting no more time on that. Unless it's something I really want to chase, then I'll then I'll put the time in, you know? Or cheat and just call you guys and say,
1: give me some settings. It's not cheating, man. I'll tell you why it's not cheating. You know, we've been doing these Nail the Mixes for a long time now. We're on episode 37 already, and... You know, people could be, not could be, people who are going about this the wrong way have been copying settings, you know, since the beginning. And if all there was to it was copying settings, we'd have 5,000 Joey Sturgises or whatever, 5,000 Billy Deckers or, you know, several thousand Jens Bogrens. But we don't because there's so much more to it than just the settings because it's the, you know, the thought process behind the settings. And those settings are just about that one moment in time solving whatever unique problems that mix had. So when people are copying settings, they're, yeah, okay, there's the settings, but what about the rest of the picture? Are you even understanding what that's all about? Now, now in your case, you would understand. That's different. But I'm just saying from, like, the student's perspective, um I don't think that they're really cheating by doing that because it's not helping them that much.
2: True, true. And you know what else is cool is, like you just said, after you've been doing this for a certain amount of time and say, I am running up against something that I can't figure out, for me to look at a setting and actually know the, the ins and outs, the A through Zs, after doing it this long, that's almost for me getting to peek behind the green curtain and go, oh, okay, I get it. I know how to do this. I just didn't know that particular thing, yeah. you know? So it, it it's probably easier for me to just grab a setting because then I can actually look at it and go, okay, I should have been doing that at that frequency rather than there. I was doing it there. But if I go up, you know, 20 hertz and start high passing the bass at 70 instead of, wherever you know 100 or 90 or something like that you know no, oh it's like okay yeah 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 I've that setting came from say A.L. Levy and and I like his record and that's what he was doing so okay I get it I get it so it, it's even more fun when you know what a compressor does and you see a setting from somebody that you enjoy their work you yeah. know what I mean it, it it means a little more to me rather than just go oh okay that's AL setting from compressor vocal A, you know? But if you know how a compressor works to be able to see what you did, that to me, that's even cooler.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Once you've done the work and got into some, you know, we've always got room to grow, but let's just say, You put in the work and have become an advanced or upper intermediate level mixer to where, you know, you're doing all right. Then I think these Nail the Mix sessions would be way more valuable, actually. So so that's why when people actually ask me, is it good for beginners or advanced people? say all the above because they're going to get different things depending on where they're at. I feel like, like you just said, you specifically... You know, you already know how this shit works. You don't need any of that stuff on Nail the Mix. But there might be this one thing that you're just beating your head into a brick wall over where, who knows, Daniel Bergstrand may have just covered it. And boom, there you right, go. You right, understood right. it in a way that, that maybe a beginner wouldn't understand it, but, like, it made perfect sense for whatever problem you were having. And there you go. That right there made it worth checking out the whole thing. The whole show just for that one thing that you've been beating your head against the wall over.
2: Yeah, and I know this isn't like an infomercial because no, no, no money, no money's getting exchanged hands here. But uh, I actually have had a few things where I've had questions and I've snapped up a couple previous Nail the Mix gentlemen or guests that you've had on there. And I actually fast forwarded through some stuff till I got to that part I was having trouble with and was able to zoom in. And I didn't watch the whole episode, but I did watch a couple things from, you know, guest A or guest B. And it was it was great. It got me over the hill. So yeah, uh, whether you are a beginner or you've been doing this or you're halfway down through your career, it doesn't matter. You're for me, I was able to grab something, and I've done that uh, with about six or seven nail-the-mixes now. Late at night, I'll just grab me a—I'm on an IPA kick these days. I'm not advocating drinking, but I guess it's better than sitting around watching the news all night, you know?
1: Well, I mean, you know, in the interest of full disclosure, like, in, if, in case anybody doesn't know, yes— this podcast is by the same company that does nail the mix. But if you've been listening to this podcast long enough, you know that we rarely ever even talk about nail the mix on the podcast. Like it's mentioned in passing and we very rarely even go into it. We're not, we don't really use it as a promotional vehicle for nail the mix. Not very often, at least Um, like maybe in the pre-roll ads or something, but not, not generally with guests. So if, I'm talking about Nail the Mix with a guest. It's just because it's relevant to the conversation that we're having right. at the time. Um, I just felt like I had to say that. So that said, so you, you you grabbed like five or six of them, and you contacted the guys themselves, the actual mixer? Uh,
2: a couple times I did, and a couple times I actually just fast-forwarded to— I watched a Nolly one uh, where I was having trouble with this one thing, and I watched what he did. Uh, I watched a Kane Chirko one. Uh, and then I watched, uh, I think I did watch some of that Daniel one. Uh, I've watched yours in the past. I've watched some of Joey's. Dude, I'm telling you, everybody's got something that they're great at. We're all good, but we all get one little thing that we're great at. Now, whether it's an audio or not, I don't know. But, you know, somebody that listens go, yeah, I might not like Decker's drums, but I tell you what, he can mix a vocal like none other, you know? So I like going in and finding these things that those dudes are great at and borrowing from them or implementing it in what I do. I think that's half the fun, you know what I mean? That's how I think I learn. You know, I ask questions, I watch other people. So I would encourage anybody that ever, you know, wants to keep on going. And that that also goes back to that other question where I said I, I always like to stick my neck out and maybe cold call somebody or something like that, do your homework first before you call because nine times out of ten, you, you, if you got a question for me, watch Nail the Mix because I spend eight hours just telling you everything I know. You know what I mean? And some a lot of times I'll get you know late-night phone calls and stuff, and I love it. I love talking to people all over the world and stuff like that, but it's like if they would have just watched the first three minutes of the vocal chain, you know, I lay it all out right there. I could have saved them tracking me down for the last three weeks and ping-ponging back and forth on emails and stuff. Uh, so, yeah, do your homework first, and then if you're still stuck, by all means, you can hit me up.
1: You know what I mean? And sometimes I feel bad about that because that irritates me a little. It irritates me a little if, like, someone needs to hear an answer from me of something that's so clearly been put out there in – but you know what, you know what it is? It's because so much work went into, whether it's in a fast track or in a nail the mix, so much work goes into that, into getting that information out there for people. It's like, dude, I like, it's not that I don't want to tell you, it's that I did all this fucking work for you and you can just like go watch it. Like there it is. And you can pause
2: it and rewind it if you, you know, so. No, and, and, and I don't mean to sound like a jerk or anything like that, but if you get that response from me, if you do hit me up and I say, you know what? It will be a lot easier for you to go to this click here and I lay it all out rather than me spending a half hour telling you the exact same thing where you can stop, rewind, fast forward, zoom in, get the exact settings, you know? So (laughs) that's what I mean. Do your homework first, you know, just, uh, and, and do that for anything in life, you know, just research what you're diving into before. Try to find as much out for yourself. Then if you're still in trouble, then you make the Bob Clear Mountain call. You know, if you can't get over that hump, then call the Kane Churkos, the Kevin Churkos.
1: That's Absolutely. that's what
2: I would suggest, and then they'll be more receptive to help you, rather than if you're just asking them a broad list of questions. You know, if you spend the time to try to figure it out on your own and do as much research with that person, and say, "Hey, I saw where you did this, 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 this. It's still not working. What do I do?" Oh yeah, then then that's easy. You know, yeah,
1: they'll take you way more seriously. Speaking of people to cold call or. Make friends with or whatever from Nail the Mix, man. I don't know if you've seen Machines session or know him yet. I'll be happily, I'll happily introduce you guys. But his Nail the Mix that just happened this past weekend was fucking good, off the charts. Yeah, man, one of the top five, I think.
2: Oh, that's great.
1: Oh yeah, dude, it was so good. Like you know, and I'm. I don't want to sound jaded. But I've been to just about all of them. I've been to like 35 out of the 37. Right. And uh, and I always learn something in them, always. So again, I don't want to sound jaded. But at this point in my life, either through my studio career or Nail the Mix, I have now watched and been in the room with lots and lots and lots and lots of really, you know, mind-blowingly good mixers. Like, mm-hmm. I've been around a lot of it. And so it's rare for something to come along that just wows me. Like, for something to come along and impress me, that happens every time because everyone we have on Now the Mix is impressive, okay? Sure. Like, they are. But, man, for something to come along and floor me like that and just be like, holy shit.
2: That's fun, isn't it?
1: this is the dude. Yeah, man, not only is it fun, it's, like, invigorating.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, it reminds you why you got into it. It makes you want to go, oh, this is awesome. I love my life, (laughs) at least this week, you know? (laughs) It makes you remember that. Yeah,
1: It did. I, I highly suggest that episode, and I'll introduce you guys. Oh, please I think do. You guys, I think you guys would become friends. You
2: know what? That same exact thing happened to me uh, when I learned about parallel compression. That was my moment. That was my machine moment when parallel compression was explained, and I finally clicked in my brain. That's that's when everything got fun for me. It,
1: that def- that's t- I can see how that would be one of those things. Oh, speaking of, he's got this parallel thing. Yeah, He does in there. That's just like, holy shit. This insides outsides thing. That's what it's called, like the total outsides or whatever. He's got to check it out.
2: Yeah, I will. I will. I'll definitely, I haven't had a chance. I've been kind of wrangling one of my uh, rental properties.
1: Yeah, I heard. Yeah.
2: I got a piece of property. I'm just kind of getting it ready to roll and fixing it up and stuff like that. So that's been kind of consuming my time other than mixing and whatnot, you know, but, uh, no, I remember you posting some stuff and, and telling me it was great, and I got to see some photos of his studio down there, and it's all that wood and stuff down in Texas, and oh, I love the rustic thing, you know? So.
1: Well, he built—okay, here. Okay, here's something else about you guys that I think you would connect on. He built that place from the ground up. That's that's his construction. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it's a very clever studio. It's, you know, we've all been in these multi-million dollar rooms with, like, the 97,000 channel SSL and all that stuff. You know, and that's cool. Those studios are cool. I mean, no knock in those studios. That's awesome. But, like, his studio is, like, he designed it to be the kind of place where a band can go play together. And just, like, be totally disconnected from the rest of the world. And he could capture everything in a way that wouldn't be, I guess, detrimental based on the fact that it's live recording or whatever. Wow. So he has it set up in a very, very clever way to where you can do anything you need but, like— it's all in one room and there's just this amazing vibe. And it's just, I don't, I'm not doing it justice, Matt. It's like a mad science lab. Wow. And he built the fucking place.
2: Yeah, I'll definitely check that out.
1: So you're coming to the summit. Of course. I'm excited about that.
2: Yeah, that'll be fun this year. That'll be a good one. I
1: don't know if you're aware. And uh, if you're not, then you're going to hear it here first. But uh, you're on opening night.
2: <laughs> uh, I had no idea, but. I will be ready, I think.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll talk about it. You you and Joel will be opening it. Um we figured that, you know, Joel will wow everybody with just the fucking yes. presence of Joel. Oh, he's great. We figure that then you can wow everybody with you yeah. know, remind them the other reason they're here, because they're they're coming for two things. They're coming to make friends and network and you know, turn these relationships that they have online into real life things. Right. But they're also there to watch some of the baddest motherfuckers in audio do their thing and learn from them. So I like I think like laying down a vulgar display of power mixing wise in that first in that first evening, I think will set the tone very nicely. Oh,
2: that'll be fun. That'll be fun. No, I'm looking forward yeah. to it. So I had a great time last year, and this year, uh I'm about 15 pounds lighter just because I didn't come off uh, prednisone for five days, you know what I mean, after beating beating cancer. So I was like huge. I was all puffed up
1: and I had just finished my last chemotherapy. You weren't huge compared to me, but I'm 60 pounds lighter. Oh, I know. You've been dropping weight like it's, good Lord, you look awesome. Awesome er, still a long way to go, but but it is, yeah, 60 down since then, and probably another 30 by the time we meet up.
2: Oh, that's great, dude. That's great. But you know what? It was a great time last year. You know what I mean? Got to meet a bunch of cool people, and I'm looking forward to it this year. I think a lot of the same people are coming back, you know? I've talked to a few that are returning this year. So You
1: mean audience members? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say that we've got, like, 65%, 70% mm-hmm. return rate on the audience members and a whole lot of new ones. I mean, the, there's way more people this year. We've got at least, as of now... 50 more people than last year. Oh, wow. So it's already a sizably larger group.
2: Oh, that's, that's going to be really, really fun. I've, I've kept in touch with a lot of, uh, should I say students or attendees? What's the correct
1: students, 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 attendees, whatever. Well, I mean, I think that's really cool though. Like that's one of the thing that things that we've always said about the networking aspect is that like, obviously you wouldn't have kept in touch with weirdos or whatever, but You actually made some buddies there who have now kept up with you. And
2: every time somebody comes through Nashville, I do my darndest to make sure they can swing by, you know. There's been a couple times on the weekends when somebody's like, hey, Decker, we're in town. Me and my buddies or me and my wife, we're from the summit, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, gosh, man, I'm out, you know, doing, I got a list of honeydews, dude. If we would have done this during the week, that would have been great. But for the most part, everybody that's hit me up, I'd like to think, that they were able to swing by and, uh, you know, at least grab a beer, at least say hi. Uh, went out to dinner with a couple folks, you know, that nice. I met at the summit. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I've tried to keep in touch through Facebook with a lot of them and uh, even some of the uh, the moderators and stuff I've kept in touch with. Uh, even one of the photographers that was down there filming some stuff for the uh, the summit last year, I've I've kept in touch with them as well. So it's been... It's been cool. I met a bunch of really cool people and have turned them into friends. I can be honest, you know?
1: So that's great. Yeah. I mean, that's the point of the whole thing. Uh we we're, you know, we don't make any money off it, man. It's a strict break-even at best. Yeah. It's really expensive for us to put on. So the way that we look at it is what can we do to make this real life? Because, you know, the we do think we're better than than modern recording schools, but the thing that they have. Over us is real life, that a real facility. this is our answer. This is how we can take things off the internet and help people people make actual friends out of that online peer group and give them a chance to actually talk to these instructors that have come on now the mix and actually network and in a situation that is for them as opposed to NAM where, you know, NAM, you're going up to your hero, you're gonna be in a line, you might get five minutes with them. Right. It's not and it's not for you. You know, they're at NAM for them for whatever reason. Like this is all about the attendees.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, my only regret from last year's summit is like I said, I had just finished up chemo and I was still taking all that those steroids, you know, for my last chemo thing. So I couldn't drink a drop of alcohol of any kind. And I had so many people going, dude, can I buy you a beer? Can I buy you a shot of whiskey? <laughs> I was like, oh no, better not. And th- back then I was kind of keeping it on the down low as well, you know, just to make sure I got through that, all that cancer nonsense, which I am back hundred percent. Everything's all good. No- so great. Nobody has to worry about anything. But this year, I'm gonna try to double down and and get back all that whiskey and beer I'm left last year. So
1: (laughs) that's great. Well, real quick, man, we've got a few questions from the audience. Do you have a moment to answer? Oh, absolutely. Come on, start firing. Okay. Well you did Kind of answer this one, okay? Um, But just in case you feel like elaborating, Alexander Carpets says, "How's your health doing, Billy?" Uh,
2: Like I said, a hundred percent. I have to go back every six months and just get a PET scan for the first couple years. But the last one I just had, uh, the oncologist was like, "Dude, it looks like you didn't even have cancer." You know, so it's I'm a hundred percent. 100%. Thank you for asking. That's that's too cool of you,
1: Andrew. Ruben Sanchez wondering, "Do you ever feel frustrated with work and life balance? How do you manage to do both?" Ruben, I look forward
2: to seeing you again, buddy. I remember you very well. When I don't work enough, I get frustrated. When I work too much, I get frustrated. <laughs> so, I would say get a hobby. That's why I like all that woodwork and stuff with those cutting boards you guys always see me talking about or making. I also just, believe it or not, I like just mowing my grass. You know what I mean? So working in the yard, that takes it out of you. I would say just, just make a balance. And once you find a balance, everything's fine. You know what's funny is if work is slow, like the other day, it was like, uh, I've always said this, the dream is dead. You know, everybody hates Billy Decker. The phone hadn't rang for three <laughs> days. I got nothing to mix. So my wife's like, well, take the day off, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I took the day off. The phone rang five times, and I've got work for the next three weeks. You know what I mean? So it's weird how when you're not out there just thinking about it or waiting for it, it happens. So I would say, find yourself a hobby or just get away from it. And, uh, keep the balance. It always works out. It always will work
1: out. Here's a cool one, man. This is a good question. And and I've wondered about stuff like this too, if, because people are nuts. <laughs> Let's just be real. People are nuts. So here's one from Matt cool, which is how have you dealt with disgruntled clients? What are tactics you use to diffuse the situation to keep everyone happy and continue to stay motivated through the rest of the project?
2: Uh, as far as disgruntled clients, I will say what I always say, and I do the same thing today. The client is always right, even when they're wrong. Your job as a recording engineer or a mix engineer is to provide a service. It doesn't matter what they say or what they do. All you're contracted to do is provide that service. Now, if you've got to go above and beyond, it doesn't matter. If they berate you, belittle you, if they're not happy... It doesn't matter. All you're doing is providing a service. Uh, I always tell everybody, this is the music business, not the music buddy. So provide the service, do whatever you have to do to keep your phone ringing and to keep the clients happy so that they tell other people and they come back. What you're doing today, tomorrow you get to move on to a next project. Say you're finishing up a project, or in my case, I mix a different thing every day. I get to move on and start mixing another record. So the client has to live with this. It's their music for the next for the rest of their life, let's say. Okay. This is their life. That's their career. My career is just to provide a service and to do the best I can. I am not going to lose sleep or get in a battle over, say, uh, a kick drum volume or a kick drum sound. I put it a certain level. The client comes in and says, dude, I hate that kick drum sound. It's way too clicky. It sounds metal. This is a country record. And I say, well, I learned that on Nail the Mix. Call Aol; It's his fucking fault. Don't talk to me. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. Of course I'm not going to do that. I'm going to say, oh, it's too clicky. Okay, let me dole it out. I
1: can't wait to get that phone call.
2: <laughs> <laughs> let me bring the volume down. My point being is I'm not going to sit there and argue with them. It doesn't matter. You know what I mean? They're the boss. I'm the employee. Now, maybe if you were in a producing slash engineering thing where you had some back-end money and I don't want to say more vested interest, but more long-lasting interest, then maybe your opinion would matter more in a situation like that. But nine times out of 10 for me, I just say absolutely, you know, and I just do whatever I can to keep them happy. I would not sit there and argue and whine and moan. And the last thing I'm going to do is get on the internet and start bitching about it. Good Lord, you know, do not air dirty laundry on Facebook or on the internet. That's the dumbest thing
1: to do. I completely, completely agree. Oh,
2: I've seen that so many times. It's like people get on there and they start bitching about something they were working on that day. And I'm like, okay, you just ended your career. Have fun.
1: You know, I had a big falling out with somebody a few years ago. And uh, that somebody went on the extreme offensive online about me, like all kinds of lies and just brutal, brutal stuff. Yeah. And, it, and my inclination was to like, you know, jump in and tell the truth, yeah. like what actually happened. You know, like I was really pissed, but I just, you know, I remember from my dad when my dad had a problem in the '90s. He had a problem with a musicians' union, and mm-hmm. where they some contract renegotiation stuff. Yeah, and it got real nasty, real fucking nasty. Oh yeah. And uh, he never sank to the level. No. Never attacked anybody in public. Never, never took the bait. And I just decided I'm not going to take the bait. I'm not going there. I'm not going to say a word. I mean, maybe privately to very close friends, if they really do think that these lies are real, I'll explain to my friends yeah. what happened. But otherwise, nothing Radio silence, and I
2: bet that situation disappeared faster than you could snap a finger at, didn't it?
1: Yeah, it could have been faster, but it it had a lot it had a lot of energy to it, so it took a while to dissipate. I mean, I'm I'm sure I haven't heard the last of it yet, mm-hmm. but it's pretty much gone at this point. And I can only tell you that if I had responded,
2: oh, that old saying, "Silence is golden." There's some truth to that, in there. Yeah,
1: exactly. Let them burn. Let that flame burn itself out. Yeah,
2: it's so much easier to just take the high road, kill them with kindness, and just move on to the next project. So there's always going to be problems, but just don't, you know, be an adult. You know, don't sit there and squabble and argue and I'm right, you're wrong. Nobody cares. You know what I mean? Do your job, get paid, and move on to the next project. That's the best way to deal with
1: it. And if someone's disgruntled, they, it might be 100% their fault. Sure but it all it also might have to do with something that you did that's entirely likely and so very rarely are there situations that are 100 percent one person's fault right you know when we're right. talking about interpersonal relationships there's yeah. usually a series of events which leads to somebody being disgruntled and sure. so you know it, it really does help in my opinion first of all not online in person or on the phone it, it helps to hear and understand and really emphasize, empathize with this person and understand where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. They, they might just have misunderstood something you said or misunderstood a direction you wanted to go or whatever. It could be a lot of problems often don't need to be problems and a little bit of communication can solve them. Now, some problems will always be problems and, you know, right. got to de- defend yourself. But I do believe in de-escalation and by owning up to things that could be your fault and just sure putting yourself in the shoes of the other person and understanding why they might be mad about something because f- shit, they might be right. I've
2: got, a, I've got a really novel idea. How about you don't lie, you don't cheat, you don't steal, say what you're going to do and then do it. Oh, wow. What? Is that like a new? That's crazy, man. That's crazy. Is that a new concept? Hmm.
1: Come up with that yourself.
2: Uh, You know who did? My dad and mom. And I tell you what, they raised me a certain way. So maybe I have an advantage over someone else. But I guarantee you that's a pretty universal concept out there. So just be a good person. I mean, come on. Think about it. You know, it's not that hard.
1: And if you approach it. Things from that paradigm of being a good person, Sure. even when you do fuck up and piss someone off and are the the party at fault, it's a lot easier to resolve the scenario. Yeah, And then also, if it's not your fault and it's the other person's fault, like approaching it from I'm going to try to be the best person possible yeah. will keep you from doing things that will escalate things. Mm-hmm, It'll mm-hmm. help you help the other person. Off the ledge or, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, it'll help you find a win-win. Yeah,
2: and remember, uh, word of mouth is going to be your best calling card, better than anything. So, say you're sorry. If you're wrong, if you screwed up, just admit it. Say you're sorry. Fix it and move on. It's that easy. It's not rocket science, you
1: know? Saying you're sorry is very powerful.
2: Oh, good Lord, I do it every day at home.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Of course, that's why I've been married for 26 years. There you go. There's the secret. All right, next question. Ryan Caro is wondering, what keeps you motivated to keep pumping out these chart-topping albums? Are there ever days where you just don't feel it? Do you take the day off if that happens to you, or do you just push through it? A
2: little both. What keeps me going is hearing something that I can't do and then trying to figure out how to do it. That keeps me going. Uh, what also helps me barrel through is yes there are days where it's just like oh i'm done you know my ears hurt i'm done and sometimes yeah I'll, I'll cut out early and just go you know it's a music business there's nothing that needs to be done today that we can't do tomorrow before business hours you know so if I'm burned everybody burns out you know uh but as far as keeping motivated i have a pretty easy time because it's a really at the end of the day if you stop and think about it i get paid to listen to music all day long and just play with music, you know? And I enjoy it, so that makes it really, really easy. There are other jobs where I'm sure people feel the same way, you know? It doesn't have to just be in the music biz. I always tell everybody I got the greatest job in the world, but in essence, if you love what you do, you have the greatest job in the world. But finding stuff that I can't do and then trying to figure out how to do it keeps me motivated. Also, uh, every once in a while, producing an act keeps me motivated so if I'm just mixing 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 sometimes I need that creative the the urge to create you know and watch something grow from inception to finished product and I'll dive in and I've actually been doing a little more of that lately than I have been but I've been doing it more in the rock world you know what I mean Because in country, I don't want to piss off my buddies that hire me. So I don't want to tread in their lane or tread in their water. So I try to do it in maybe another format or something.
1: Pressure and fear helps me. (laughs) But I don't have fear. So remember, I have no fear anymore. For instance, with the summit coming up. The summit is like ninety-five percent me uh, in, in terms of putting it together. Like, yeah, some the other some guys might make a graphic or two. Mm-hmm. Some somebody might run some ads or some shit. But like, when it comes down to it, I'm doing all the work for that thing, right. and uh, it's on me, man. <laughs> like that's fear. Like if, like the fear of it not. Being ready, no, you know, that kind of thing.
2: It's not fear, you, you're not like fear, like watching Halloween, like the, the Michael no, Myers no, is no. chasing, not that kind of fear, but
1: maybe it was pressure.
2: There you go, that's better because last year. I thought everything ran like clockwork. I thought it was smooth as silk. It was one of the Actually, more
1: Actually, the other guys were scared <laughs> <laughs> because they because they and didn't know if I was going to be able to do this. I
2: thought it was fantastic as far as the coordination and the timing and the layouts and I mean you you had me fooled, dude. I good lord, I thought you had like event coordinators for days helping you with that bad boy. <laughs>
1: if only the the problem this year is that <laughs> everyone's so comfortable with the job I did last year <laughs> that I'm getting even less help. Oh,
2: there you go. Okay.
1: But uh but it's going to be fine. Maybe
2: we are talking real fear. <laughs> no, it'll be awesome. It'll be great, dude.
1: We've got new challenges this year because there's more people. So, you know, like we're not going to be bussing back and forth to the studio because Um, we can't fit in those studio rooms anymore. Right. Like, that's not an option. Right. Like, as you know, we were barely, there was barely enough room last year. Right. So it's all going to take place in the hotel, which is both a blessing and a curse. So having to build a control room inside of a hotel on stage is quite an interesting thing. So here's one from Jack Hartley. Okay. Even though you have an amazing system of templates and have been a Jedi Ninja level chart topping mix master for years. Let me say that again. Jedi Ninja level, hold on, Jedi Ninja level chart topping mix master. Wow. Jedi Ninja level chart topping mix master for years. Do you ever have those days where you just feel like your ears are off and nothing is working for you? Yes,
2: absolutely. One word answer. Yes. Happens to everybody. And then what you do is you either cut out early, come back the next day. Uh, I tell you what, get a good eight hours of sleep. That will really help. You know what I mean? Uh, If your sleep is not on, then, boy, I tell you what, I do not work good unless I've had at least eight hours to decompress from the, the day before. So for me, every day is like going to a rock concert. You know what I mean? I probably monitor too loud, but I think we all do. You know, I go up and down, of course, and then flip over to the boom box. But I need at least eight hours for my ears to feel unclogged or un- or clear or whatnot. Uh, and if that doesn't do it, then you just power through, you know, just take breaks. And but yeah, absolutely. Every and, and sometimes I'll be mixing and even with the templates and stuff like that. And it just doesn't sound like it should sound. So I am lucky where I'll do multiple different projects in one day. So if something's not working, you know what I do? I hit save, close, open up the other one, start rocking on maybe a different genre. And then all of a sudden I get into a vibe, everything starts clicking and I can go back to the other one. It's like, oh yeah, I should have done this, 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 this. So it's mixing is almost as much a state of mind as it is a state of hearing or state of ears. If you get rid of a lot of extraneous stuff, if you're in a funk or a rut, you know, shut the computer down, change the channel on the TV, get up, go grab something to drink, make a cup of coffee, tea, whatever, you know, take a shot of whiskey. I don't care. Just get yourself out of it and then or take a break, come back and take a break, you know. Or to be honest with you, you know what I've done? A lot of times I will put on some music that I'm not mixing, listen to that, uh, get into a a vibe, you know, and nine times out of 10, it's a heavy vibe. So I'll listen to something angry that'll piss you off, make you want to go to the supermarket and punch old ladies in the fruit aisle or something, you know, (laughs) and then come back and start crushing it again. So the term crushing, (laughs) the term crushing comes from Joel.
1: And he does crush. Oh yeah. He
2: crushes all the time. So there you go, Joel. There's your shout out.
1: Kirk Wells says, Billy, my man, what are your thoughts on parallel compression? I've recently been trying it on my drums and I really like the way I can manipulate the transients coming through. I noticed Machine uses this technique on his mix bus prior to hitting his stereo out channel to have an inside and outside. He smashes the inside and leaves the outside so he's still able to still have those transients poke through. Have you tried parallel on your mix bus like this before? You haven't seen it yet, so I would say... I would say that you should watch his episode to fully get it. Oh, I'll
2: definitely watch. And that is what sounds like Jedi Mixmaster stuff, not what I do. (laughs) The only thing I parallel compress is the drums, and I don't run any cymbals or the hi-hats through it. So it's just kick, snare, toms. Uh, I've got a smash track, an unadulterated track, And then those go into a drum bus and then they go right to the two mix. And the only other thing I parallel compress is the background vocals. That's it. So I know a lot of people do instrument buses and parallel and they're set up. And it's, uh, what I've found is there's about 90 million ways to skin a cat. And as long as you end up with a skin cat at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how you get there. And if, it sounds good. If your skin cat sounds good, then it's right, you know? So machine may need to do the parallel inside outside thing for him to be happy with it. Me, I don't even know what that means. So I tend to just be happy with what I do and I can get my stuff wide and stuff. Uh, And then I know a couple other dudes that have so much paralleling on, I can't even route it. I've, I've opened up their sessions and I'm like, good Lord, what the, what is going on? And I've tried different ways and different methods. And the thing I found is there really is no right or wrong way. I know guys that use no parallel compression and their stuff sounds awesome. And I'm like, well, how in the world do they do that? And it's just all about balancing, you know? So like I said, there's there's a million ways to get there. It's just find the way that's good for you. And then boom, you're there. As long as you get there, who cares how you get there? I
1: agree. So Eric Burt's wondering, despite having such a quick workflow and the decorator, you've always seemed willing to embrace change and try new things. Can you give us an example of a new plugin or technique you've tried recently that is a staple of your workflow currently? Also, is there one that you tried and couldn't find good use for?
2: Yes, I tried a Fab filter something. And I hated the interface so bad that I gave up after about three minutes of using it. So to me, easeability of using and if something looks cool, you almost may be able to sell me a uh, on a plug-in, almost like an infomercial. You know what I mean? If I see a bed that looks cool late at night on TV, I'm gonna order the <laughs> damn thing, even if I haven't slept in it yet, because it looks so cool. So I guess that's the power of uh, graphics and advertising as far as plugins go. One plug-in that I use that is now a staple, I'll be honest, is Joey, your partner, Joey Sturgis's gain reduction I used it on Rodney Atkins' new single, which is at 38 this week, and I used to always use an 1176 on my vocal chain. And 4 to 1, super slow, super fast. I have now started using gain reduction on it.
1: It's a good plug-in.
2: It really is, and you know what I like best about it? It's one knob. All you do is lift up the—I forget what it's called. Is it the threshold? or, or No, it's Slay the sleigh button. All you do is lift up sleigh, And it just starts working. So I used it on Rodney's. He loved it. Uh, And after hearing it back on the radio, I'm like, wow, that really takes your vocal and just pulls it to the forefront. So uh, I've started using that. So there's an example of one that was easy to use, that looks cool. And the other one, I'm sure Fab Filter is great, but I couldn't figure out how to use the damn thing. So I was like, fuck it. I'm throwing it away,
1: you know? I mean... You know, there's no one size fits all. Mm -mm. Fabio De La Luz is wondering, are there any recent mixes you've done with metal, you know, metal genre, metal drum samples that went undetected by us? And how do they differ in your technical approach from, say, working with your usual sample set?
2: That's funny you ask. Uh, I mixed a song by a guy named Sam Hunt, and he had a song called Downtown's Dead. And Oh, no, 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 no. I take that back. Not say I, I did that too, but I didn't use. I'm um, thinking of another song. Uh, back to the Rodney Atkins thing. There is a breakdown, Fabio, toward the end, right? Oh, it's oh gosh, it's right before the vocal breakdown in uh, the songs called. Caught up in the country. Uh, I didn't use a metal sample, but I did use a sample that was given to me by Mike Shipley, God rest his soul, that he actually made and was on the Hysteria album for Def Leppard. It was the it was the snare drum, and I think I'm one of probably four people, other than the other three that have it. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I actually blended that Def Leppard snare drum into the breakdown, and I ran it about half volume because if I ran it way up, it was it was so out of context, it didn't work. But it it works. It's the like it's pour some sugar on me snare. You know what I mean? And I ran that at half volume, and it just sits in there. So cool. And you almost have to, if you don't know what it is or if it's there, you'll never detect it. But now that I just let the cat out of the bag, that's my homage to the great Mike Shipley mixer who passed away, who I looked up to from this time I probably got into music and uh, actually got to speak with him. Uh, Never met him in person, but I spoke with him over the phone. So that's uh, one example of me. Hiding something in a country mix. How about that?
1: <laughs> that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's kind of fun. I know I know sometimes you'll send me screenshots of when you've used my drums for my pack on a on my drum forge on a country tune. It's always like,
2: "Yes." I still I, I actually, you know what? I didn't know that counted, but you were incorporated about four months ago, everything I've done in the last four months, maybe five.
1: Oh, wow, Um, that much? I was totally not trying to give myself a shameless plug, more so just that it humbles me when you do that. It's like, wow, okay, cool. Oh, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I I thought we talked about this on another. Otherwise, I would have mentioned that. But, yeah, I blended in your your Toms. I fell in love with your Toms and now have been using them. Oh, gosh, I guess it's because I've— been so long ago for me, I've forgotten about it. They're just loaded into trigger and that's, they're just firing off. So yeah, yours were the only ones I could find that were giving me that snap that I was looking for. You know what I mean? And, uh, your stick attack, I I blend in three different sounds and yours is the one that you're hearing the stick attack on.
1: So. Got it. I'm glad you liked them, man. I, I'm really happy with how those toms came out.
2: Oh, they're great. They're great. And I, and I think you shared them with me probably, I think it was after the summit, and I was complaining about something, one of our late night chats or something. We were talking over Facebook Messenger or something, and you're like, hey, I got a set of toms, try these out. And I ended up doing it. It was like fantastic.
1: So that That was one of the last things I worked on before going all in with this. Well, you
2: might have to come out of retirement for a drum pack here in the near future, you know?
1: Well, I will. Um, There's a drum pack I recorded with for Drumforge that Matt Brown and I did together, which is like from the ground up. And it's really, really good. Like really, really good. And it's just been sitting in limbo waiting for Drumforge to get a programmer. I don't feel braggy by saying it's really good. Because, you know, shit, if it never comes out, then at least I got to go down saying that this drum pack I made was (laughs) fucking awesome.
2: Well, your toms already are awesome because you've heard them on country radio. I
1: think you'll like the toms especially. No,
2: I'll use them. I'll use them. I, I like what you do. So come on.
1: I actually got a lot of shit back when I was recording from some guys because of how I like to record toms but i record them in a way that makes them almost mix ready whereas uh i find that the your typical tom microphone like a 421 i mean you can always get it there yeah, obviously it's a classic but really? they don't pop out of the 421 mix ready i always feel like they sound kind of kind of gross and you have to do a lot of work to them and mm-hmm. that just bugged me um so for mine i always try to get them straight off of the microphone, pretty close to mix ready. And yeah, I don't know. It's cool. I hope it comes out. I do have another question here though. Yeah, please. It's by Will Douglas. How do you approach the mastering segment of your mixes? Do you tend to send off your mixes for mastering or do you have a go-to mastering chain you like to use? I
2: do two mixes, one with uh, a clipper inserted in my chain and one without. And then the one without I call unmastered that they can send out to mastering. And I just take off the limiter, the L3 at the end of my chain. And then the one, if they do want it mastered, then I insert a clipper right before the L3. And there you go. Tap the L3 just a little harder and that's it. Uh, Anybody that's seen the Nail the Mix or has ever worked with me in the past knows I kind of am backwards where I run my master fader lower and my individual channels hotter rather than master fader unity gain up at zero and go into that lower level uh i don't know why i do that it's just how i've always done it and obviously it's work so who cares you know whatever works yeah exactly so No, just throw in a clipper of your choice and just get a little extra volume and it'll kind of square off the... Not clip, like distorted clip, but uh, a clipper as far as like, you know, JST Clip or uh, Event Horizon. Uh, Brian Hood hit me to that one. There's a million of them out there and that's pretty much it. My mixes are already loud and they're pretty well limited and compressed anyway, so it doesn't need much. Every time I do send a mix, a lot of times to a mastering house especially not here in nashville because the guys here in nashville know what they're getting if i send them something they're already they know it's going to be 99 percent there so they just kind of clean it up you know if there's any trouble spots but a lot of times if i send something up north or out west uh, a lot of times they call back and say hey could we have three db a headroom and you know loosen up that and I'm thinking, no, because I don't want you to fuck it up. Uh, but I always comply because why? That's what we do. So I give them 3D a headroom and ship it out and keep my opinion to myself.
1: Does that answer that question? Yeah, that's a very good answer. Before we get off here, I'm going to break some rules, but I want to. I want to talk about something that we've been kind of talking about for a while. I just want to get some audience feedback and some audience direction on it. So as you know very well, uh, we've been talking about the idea of doing a country nail the mix. And Correct. so for those of you listening, the idea of the country nail the mix is not instead of the other nail the mixes. It's just so you know I didn't I don't want you metal heads or something to like suddenly panic and be like you're taking my metal away. We're not taking your metal away. I promise your metal will not be taken. but we were we're talking about the idea of possibly adding on top of that, country-based Nail the Mix, more Billy Decker, and also getting some of Billy's amazing friends on, you know. So more, like I said, more Billy Decker, as well as Billy plus his friends, and really delve into this genre more, because, like, as we were saying before, the standards are just so high, and these mixes sound so amazing. And uh, to be able to have it taught in the way that Nail the Mix is taught, I think would help you guys tremendously, and it's something that I'd like to kind of get going in the next year. So I want to get some, just some response. If you're in the Private Producers Club, which is, you know, the private Facebook group for, uh, for Nail the Mix subscribers, just tag me or, or Billy and let's talk about it. We'd love to hear some of your ideas for it and uh, what you'd like to see happen. Because remember, like I said, this is not, we're not talking about doing like February is country month or something like that. We're not looking to do anything instead of anything else. We're thinking about adding on a whole new thing. And so we want to hear some feedback from you guys and uh, get where your heads are at about it. I think it would be a great thing, but let's, uh, let's hear what you guys think. And with that, Do you have anything to say about that, Billy?
2: I think uh, you also mentioned, and it might be good to get some feedback on this, too, uh, of actually having me host a few of those country nail the mix. Just because. Uh,
1: I I didn't mention that yet with Billy as the host.
2: Yeah. So uh, it might be kind of interesting to see if people would be into that as well. Or if they're like, no, we can't stand Decker. Uh, We hate his voice. We know how damn handsome he is, but we just, we don't want to see him anymore on camera or hear his voice, (laughs) you know?
1: (laughs) I mean, I think the idea of having you host Nail the Mixes with some of the top dudes in country or pop country would be amazing. And of course, you know, for everyone wondering there, like we would, us, Nail the Mix, we would, URM, you know, would be there to make sure it's just as good as, everything else we do.
2: Yeah, in a way, it may be cool because I've kind of blended or blurred the lines between rock and country already by stepping into your guys' world. So if somebody does, like, say, we're doing a country nail the mix and they uh, chime in with a question about, like, say, splitting that bass guitar, you know what I mean? I'll be able to relay that in maybe a country way whereas somebody that didn't know what was going on with the country world that knows we don't do that here sometimes, you know what I mean? So it might be kind of cool just for me to be able to uh, m- not moderate, but be able to understand a metal question and turn it into a country question. Does that make sense? Yes,
1: sir. Absolutely. So,
2: you know, that just food for thought. Guys,
1: Please do, please do talk to us about this online. We want to hear your thoughts. I personally think it'll be— a phenomenal thing and we're doing it either way but uh <laughs> but i want but i want to get your want to get your feedback on it we always like to we always like to know where you, where you guys are at but Billy. Thank you for coming on the podcast again. Thank you
2: for having me. Always a pleasure to talk to you and my 4,500 friends out there in
1: URM land. All right, man. Well, be seeing you soon.
0: Awesome. Talk to you later. This episode of the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast has been brought to you by Telefunken Electroacoustic. Telefunken Electroacoustic has been following the tradition of excellence and innovation set forth by the original Telefunken GMBH of Germany that began over 100 years ago. With one foot rooted in the rich history of the brand, and the other in new microphone innovations for both stage and studio applications, Telefunken Electroacoustic is recognized as one of the industry leaders in top quality microphones. For more info, go to tfunk.com. This episode was also brought to you by Fascination Street Mastering Studios. Have your songs mastered by Jens Volgrian and Tony Lindgren, the engineers that mastered bands like OPEF, Dimmu Borgir, Arch Enemy, Creator, Depoltura, Amana Marth, and many more. By using the coupon code URM18 in the online mastering configurator, you'll receive a 15% discount on your order. The code is valid for the rest of the year. Visit www.fascinationstreet.se to learn more and book your mastering session today. If you like the Unstoppable Recording Machine podcast, make sure you leave us a review, subscribe, and send us a message if you want to get in touch.